absolutely is your opportunity to think differently, get on the clinical and care professional leadership bus and and join in conversations. Don't wait for permission. Hello and welcome everybody to episode five of our new podcast series focusing on the importance of fully inclusive, multi-professional, clinical and care professional leadership. Today's episode is the final episode in the series and safe to say we've saved the best for last. Today, our expert panel will be sharing examples of clinical and care professional leadership in action. Before we get into it, let's introduce our expert panel. Hi, I'm Des Breen. I'm National Clinical Advisor for System Transformation with NHS England. Hello, I'm Rariette Nadukade, and I work in North East London as Chief Pharmacist and Director of Medicines and Pharmacy. And I also have a role in the North Thames Genomic Medicine Service Alliance. My name is Gina Sargent. I'm the Chief Allied Health Professions Officer for NHSE in the Southwest and co-chair of the BSW AHP Council. Hello, I'm David Pearson. I'm a proud social worker by trade um, who became a director of adult social care with Nottinghamshire County Council and uh, a chair of the integrated care system in Nottinghamshire. And I'm currently system partnership advisor with the NHS. I'm Sakti Karunaniti, director of public health in Lancashire. I'm also one of the National Advisors for System Transformation for NHS England. I'm Dr. Will Taylor. I'm a GP, but I'm also the Chief Medical Officer designate for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire ICS. So my name is Chris West. I'm Deputy Chief Nursing Officer for Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland Integrated Care Board. We've heard over the course of this series the need for clinical care professional leadership to permeate across every level of the system as part of a distributed leadership model. Building on this thought, Des shares with us an example from South Yorkshire. I'd like to use the example of the Cancer Alliance in South Yorkshire and Bassett Law as, as an example of how you can apply the five principles to real life situations. So, you know, it's not going to be up for for a chief nurse or a chief medical officer on a on a board to redesign cancer services, they might they will delegate that to cancer alliances. In our cancer alliance, we have one clinical director, and we have also primary care representing from on the early diagnosis work stream. But that clinical director has fifteen clinical leads representing each of the tumor groups, and each of those clinical leads represents tumour site specific groups which contain 20 to 30 multiple clinical and care professionals in it redesigning the services at the shop floor with the people who really need how to do it. That really illustrates principles one and two because it's 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 not who's at the top table it's actually how you permeate decision making and, and service redesign to the to the level at which it's best done and it's multi-professional so it also illustrates principle three in that actually the Cancer Alliance have funded all those posts for clinical time to be released uh, and also we've funded a business analytics uh, capability to be able to provide the data so they can then actually make informed clinical redesign based on the evidence that's uh, in, in front of them. I think as we have individual tumour teams, we also put them through some development opportunities as teams together, disruptive thinking elements. And also we've actually given bespoke development offers to each of the clinical leads, depending on their sort of clinical uh, or leadership development need. And I think finally, identifying our, our future talent. 
So if you add up all those clinical leaders at the shop floor, we've got about 300 from there. And so we proactively try and look out for our next clinical leaders. But if we can proactively uh, develop those leaders from a multi-clinical care professional background right from the shop floor and, and build, build, build it as business as usual, and I think that's, um, that, that, that's a good approach. And I think that sort of example is a way of multi-professional clinical care professionals permeating through the system, a culture of collaboration, giving them the support to do it and giving them individual development offers as well as uh, talent pipeline management. Des is right. Having that bespoke development offer in place is key. Chris shares with us how having a comprehensive professional offer in place within her system has led to overall happier staff. I mean, locally, we we already had um, a professional offer but that is now complemented with um, an inclusive culture and leadership programme. And alongside that, all the work we've been doing in terms of bringing together our clinical and care professional leaders. So the professional strategy for us has been for us a bottom up development. It really doesn't look hugely different from from the, the national sphere and the guidance, as you perhaps expect. But more like for us, I think that bit about it, not it wasn't written by somebody to get the job done. It was actually part of making it real, actually starting to engage with our our um, professionals across the system. We've got places to go to help um, people who are standing out of the shadows and are really, you know, our, our talent of the future that we want to to um, develop. But also there we are actively looking out at ways we start to come together. For me, that is our future. And for me, that's the opportunity where we start to really do all the things we talked about in the other episodes, but have happy staff and we'll have staff who work together to improve the provision of care and treatment to those who live in, in our community, which is Leicester, Leicester and Another key topic discussed throughout this series was the importance of collaboration. Will explains how utilising a QI approach to system improvement has helped while Raleigh recounts what collaboration looked like during the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we've done quite a lot of work around what we've called our early intervention and communities team, which is really around, very much around sort of taking the frail patients from the front door, but also sort of facilitating discharge. And very early on, we realised that actually you couldn't do that within any one speciality. So we've put around localities in, in, in Birmingham, um, multi-professional teams, um, that have come from the acute trust, they've come from the community trust, and they've come from social care. And actually, they have stayed mostly with their original employer. That came together really by creating a space where people could think about, well, what's the right way of tackling the problem of looking after our more frail patients in their homes first? Um, and how do we do that in the most seamless way possible? And it's been really interesting creating those teams across organizational boundaries and and thinking and one of the think things that we've done we started to talk to the people that were involved in that piece of work and saying actually if we came at this again how would we do it better and actually what what were you missing as individuals that you would have liked to have had in terms of skills resource um to do that if if we if we if we approach this again and that's then giving us the basis of that developmental offer that we want to put in place for people as well. So it's actually really implementing that quality improvement process where we've done something and then we're going back and asking, well, what went well, what went wrong and how can we make our developmental offer for, for people in the future better?
When we were um, implementing our first COVID vaccination programme, Bart's Health set up one of the first public vaccination centres in the Excel Centre in, in London. He were approached to go actually go out into the community to provide a service. And so an outreach service were, was formed. And the, the important thing for me there was that, first of all, it was organically grown in terms of the need. So there was an approach made, but also... It was very much a collaboration from public health, local authorities, social care, faith and community leaders. They would meet weekly to plan what was needed, to review successes of sessions and really to form that team, which would go out to to provide um, that vaccinations for people who wouldn't otherwise engage. It's coming together organically because of that identified need. And now it's actually been systemised and operationalised and we could not deliver our vaccination services within North East London now without that. So it started small just from a need and now it's actually become a, a huge thing. And it has helped with that local partnership and collaborations in all sorts of different ways. Gina agrees with both Will and Ryanette and firmly believes in allowing the voice of staff on the ground to be heard. There is something about the adversity that we're facing as systems that's really helping to encourage and drive that collaboration. I was thinking and reflecting on one of the examples, uh, a hospital at home service that we've set up across our system uh, down in Bath and how the most important things they thought about wasn't the traditional how are we spending the winter monies, how are we managing the transport. It was, OK, so what about the impact on existing system services and structures and the relationships and how will that work to the patient's benefit? And then when I think about in the, the less so patient facing uh, aspects, I think about things like uh, the plethora of uh, allied health professional councils that have developed and faculties that have developed through COVID and prior to that in line with our, our professional college and documentation that really kind of helps us think about how to be system system leaders and system working together. Um, and the bit that I've really taken joy from is seeing the strong voice of the support workers come through that. So we've been able to facilitate uh, their voice and their opinion in, in system working. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be celebrated and, and shared as we go forward. So David shares an example from Nottinghamshire that demonstrates how clinical and care professional leadership supported a high quality population health management approach across the system. Some things take time to get right. But this is an example of introducing multi multidisciplinary working in, in primary care in Nottinghamshire based on a population health management approach. The system, the approach was designed on a multidisciplinary basis led by a, a local GP, um, supported by tech staff with, with, which built upon, uh, an overarching strategy, which meant that data could, information could be shared across organizations and professions, that there were joint care records developed. Further resources were invested in order to enable the clinical and care time in order for that to take place. The outcome was evaluated by Nottingham Trent University, and it did show that 13% more people were supported at home than was the case previously, and admissions to hospital were done by 12%. So, so there was a there's a so an example there was something that I think um, was was pretty effective. Listening to Gina's point makes Will reflect on the importance of ensuring professionals in patient and population facing roles have their voices heard and describes how he approached achieving this for primary care.
just to say one of the things I struggled with when trying to think about how to implement this framework is how to to get that root and branch permeation of this. So actually the people who are actually working on the shop floor who have that contact with the 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 the, the patients, the people, the the the, the citizens of the that we are really trying to make things better for, um, are able to have their voice heard. And I, I just want to share one example of what we've done in Birmingham Solihull. And this is, it is it's, it's not perfect because it's profession specific. If I take my profession of general practice, GPs and GP teams tend to historically have been very fragmented, very lone working, very much in individual practices. And have never really had a single voice in the system. And what we wanted to do was to say, well, actually, how do we get that root and branch involvement of general practice in the system? So we we, we went to the membership of the CCG, as was, and I know we're going to cease to be a membership organisation, and said and started talking about how do we create a system where all of you are involved? And, and what we've done is realise that every practice is part of a PCM. Every PCM has a clinical director. So each and each and each of our localities has six PCNs. So each each locality has elected two of their clinical directors to sit on a GP partnership board. So every practice is represented through this the the the, the, the clinical director. Every clinical director then is represented at the, at the GP partnership board um, through through their locality. And the partnership board has then actually designated GPs to sit on the ICS board to sit within. Um, various clinical representative collaborative groups um, to to represent that aspect of the system within those collaborative groups, the various program boards, the various place-based boards, and report back into that GP partnership board, which then can report back and talk down into the PCNs and into the individual practices of the PCNs. So, so there is a structure there actually to cr- create a two-way conversation to the shop floor to the bits that really connect to the people of the city and then back up into the decision-making bodies of the ICS and the ICB. Sakti considers the opportunities that clinical and care professional leadership offers if we really invest in wide-reaching collaboration including addressing health inequalities and supporting inclusive leadership. What the design of ICS has brought forward uh, and certainly the principles document has surfaced, has given further catalyst or further um, momentum to to the importance of developing this multi-professional care and clinical leadership. And we are beginning to see that already um, in the development of primary care networks. So the system that I'm from, Lancashire and South Cumbria, we we basically embarked on this population health management program, which really helped bring together the data scientists and um, clinical professionals, social workers, uh, voluntary community faith sector. So there is a rich sort of experience that is going to grow. And we are already investing a lot of resources in health inequalities, uh, like Will was saying, particularly the primary care networks taking an active role. I think the genuine um, or uh, even more um, opportunities exist when we start to bring together alongside other resources in the community and in the wider local government sector. I think that is should be the holy grail of this, where 
we start to see all the resources that exist within a, an integrated care system area are aligned and working coherently and actually uh, across professionals and on the priorities that we agree as a system. And that's where I think this this has got real opportunities as a, as a movement. The second thing I would say is we need to embed this in various training programs of um, our future leaders and future fully qualified professionals. And that's another opportunity we have in front of us. And then this is a broader third point I want to make, which is generally a, a general point around inclusion, around race, inequalities. Uh, and again, uh, we have learned a lot about this in the last two years, particularly when we had to deal with the uh, COVID pandemic. And we continue to see that in any threats that we receive. So these these three things that I mentioned has really galvanized us, I feel. And I am very confident people in leadership roles, particularly the new system leaders working with the, the wider partners, will treat leadership as a core ingredient for the success of integrated care systems. Building on Sakti's point, Des believes it's so important to map out exactly where you are in the system so that pathways can be developed appropriately. I think as we go through this change, it's important to recognise what leaders you already have in your system. Uh, and therefore, that gives you what you've got, but it also gives what you've not got. So as an example, in the South Yorkshire Bassett Law, we've got about 130 clinical and care professional leaders uh, in the system actually working at a system and place level for the functions that they're there for, not for the traditional roles. We, we also have identified that they operate in around 65 sort of arenas. So this is actually quite a complex landscape as well as identifying the leaders that are there and the forums that are there it gives us an idea to identify not what we've not got and therefore what we need to build on going on in the future so it gives us a roadmap over the next five years to actually um, try and alter the balance between the really truly multi-professional clinical and care professional leadership finally our panel tells us the one thing that they hope they have conveyed through the course of this podcast series you know, we really need to encourage a, a, a situation where anyone feels they can have, everyone feels they have a voice, everyone feels they listen to, and everyone feels they can influence. That's key. There's no, nothing special about the people in this room that makes us leaders and, and other people not. I think it's building on Will's point in in that, um, you know, we, we, we've got to shift the focus of what is a traditional leadership role to the function of what we want leaders to do. You know, everybody has got leadership skills. Everybody's a leader within them. And it's how we harness that, not just the traditional roles of people who sit at boards or divisions. Valet hopes that we've emphasised the importance of changing how we work together. I would hope that we've debunked the view that this is more of the same. I do hope that we have explained or shown that it is a fundamental shift and a fundamental change. It's underpinning all of this really is that cultural change. And, uh, and, I, and I think that there's something for everybody, including myself, around um, how are we going to um, let go of our presumed power? How are we going to share our power with, with with others in order to really bring clinical and care professional leadership to life? Because if we don't do that, if we're not prepared to, to do that, then um, it will. It, 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 um, the risk is that it, it will be more, more of the same. For Chris and Gina, it's about coming together and taking this opportunity to be curious and to think differently. The way forward is about integration, but I don't think it comes naturally to everybody. And I think, however 
you much you believe in it we don't know everything we have to learn we have to learn about the things we don't know we have to be curious let's really find out what we don't know you know find out what the experiences of others are real and true because the only way we can make it better locally and that will be for others in their local area that's the only reason we only way we can do that and make sure that it's equitable and fair for all is to come together to to knock some of those walls and barriers down but it won't happen naturally it needs leaders to step forward and absolutely second that i think for a long time colleagues um you'll hear the the disinterested the disfranchised that oh well if only and i think this absolutely is your opportunity to think differently get on the clinical and care professional leadership bus and and join in conversations don't wait for permission uh, go seek out there, make mischief, um, find your networks, form a network uh, and, and you know, challenge your integrated care system to do differently and deliver clinical and care professional leadership in line with the principles uh, in the way that you want it to. Because at the end of the day, we have our ultimate clinical responsibility to our patients and service users and population. And, and that really talks to the whole uh, ethos of, of an integrated care system in the first place. So David offers his hopes for listeners. My advice to colleagues listening to this podcast is that it takes time to share power, responsibility and leadership. But I hope what we've demonstrated through examples today is that there can be fantastic benefits for the communities that we serve. Finally, Sakti says that system leadership comes down to self-improvement and having the courage to do better. A key point for me is systems leadership is as much about you as it is about what is not you. Uh, and by that, I mean, we need to be courageous to understand our personal prejudices and reach out and be kind to ourselves as well as others and build that relationship. So system leadership for me lies in the relationship that's being built between individuals and groups. And that's when it can be truly effective. And that's it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and the podcast series. Thank you to our expert panel for all of their thoughts over the last five episodes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care.